the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Visit their new location at 224 West King Street, Martinsburg, and online at suttonandjanelle.com. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. from um, WVU Medicine infectious disease doctor Connie Smith. I'm going to bring her right on live then. Good morning. You with us? Good morning. Yes, this is Dr. Smith. Good morning. I'm so glad we could connect. I'm so glad that you are uh, able to spend a little bit of time with us uh, on this Friday. I should mention Panhandle Live this morning is brought to you by Sutton & Janelle. They're your full-service law, law firm serving West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland, excuse me, serving West Virginia and Maryland. And you can contact them online anytime or see what they're all about at suttonandjanelle.com or visit them at their new historic location, 224 West King Street in Martinsburg. I uh, want to bring in uh, Dr. Connie Smith, infectious disease uh, doctor, kind of a, a new uh, acquire from, for Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center, uh, WV Medicine. And I appreciate you spending some time during this very busy period, uh, obviously, for you. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. So, you know, folks have so many concerns. Folks are getting information from so many different directions. I just wanted to give you a little bit of time to talk about, um, you know, what you want the listener to know. And I've got some very you know, specific questions, but uh, what do you want the listeners to know about this different iteration of the pandemic and what we need to do moving forward? Yes, uh, obviously the biggest concern I think that faces those of us in healthcare as well as the general public right now is all of us felt as though we were entering into a phase where COVID appeared to be decreasing and people started, all of us started to feel um, a lot of optimism. And then most recently we had the different variants that started to arise and we started to see COVID cases increase again in our communities, in our hospitals, uh, in our community gatherings. And so I, and it was a time entering into the spring and summer where people were getting together and starting to feel like they were returning to a sense of normalcy. Around that same time, we saw the increase in the cases, and I think emotionally and physically people started to feel the impact of it. I think the important points I would like to uh, relate to the community and to um, healthcare workers in general is we we still have to keep working towards getting to a point where we feel like we're back in control again of COVID. We are seeing more cases. Along the same time, a few months ago, when we started to see the cases going down, we were all starting to get immunizations and vaccines. And that has been quite a, a, a point of conversation in our communities, in our schools, in churches, et cetera, with getting the vaccine. So the points I would make is the vaccines do still have a significant impact on how this disease is going to progress. And the important thing to remember is, although you're hearing a lot about 
Delta variant and different variants of the virus arising, and the fact that the vaccine is less less efficacious against that, there still is significant benefit to vaccinating those individuals who choose to be vaccinated. So the vaccines that are available are still uh, effective. And keeping in mind that the va- getting the vaccine does not protect you 100% from getting the disease. The purpose of the vaccines really has been shown, the efficacy has been shown to decrease your likelihood of severe disease, which would lead to hospitalization and ultimately death. So there's still, vaccines still work. We're still strongly urging people to strongly consider getting this for yourself and your family. But that is the first point. The second point that I think is very important is what else can you do to prevent ending up in a hospital or on a ventilator breathing machine or ultimately dying from this disease. And I think a lot of things we can do ourselves. And I think there should be a focus on making yourself as healthy as you can be. If there was ever a time in your life where you felt like you you wanted to become healthier, you wanted to lose a few pounds, get yourself into a better weight, control your blood pressure, control your diabetes, really work on your own self-immunity and self you know, boosting your ability to fight off any disease process, whether it be influenza, COVID virus, whatever the next virus down the road would be. So I think a focus on your own personal health should really be something that all of us think about in addition to if we feel we are able to get that vaccine to go out and get the vaccine. Can I ask you, um, you were talking about, you know, getting healthy and, and we've heard a lot about comorbidities. We know that folks who have lung disease, asthma, uh, uh and COPD, for example, are, are more likely to suffer some difficulties if they catch COVID-19. But when you talk about getting healthier and losing weight, is being overweight or obese a factor in folks who get more, um, you know, severe symptoms from this disease? Is that tied into inflammation? We absolutely do see a direct correlation with, if you look at the individuals who are coming into the hospital becoming very ill with COVID and ultimately going on to have complications. Some of those complications lead to death, but there are other complications. You can have strokes as a complication of COVID, uh, chronic fatigue syndromes that arise from that. Absolutely, if you have uncontrolled diabetes, there's definitely been a correlation with excessive weight. Obesity is definitely a risk factor uh, for having a less Uh, optimal outcome. So we do see that. I do believe, to answer your question, that there is a significant tie to the inflammatory component. That tends to be what is a rapid progression factor, is once the inflammation from the virus starts, sometimes it is very difficult and oftentimes impossible to control. So when when you're talking about, and, and I know we're talking broadly, we're not giving anyone a specific diagnosis, but when you're talking about treatment modalities for that, to get that inflammation down, are there certain um, go-tos that you guys are, are um, securing or trying um, the monoclonal antibody treatment, those kinds of things? What are you uh, finding is, is something that folks really need to get into the hospital for and get treated with as soon as possible to, to help their outcomes? Absolutely. We do have uh, certain protocols that over the course of the last um, 18 months, uh, we have developed in, in, the, in the field of medicine. Some of those modalities are very much tied to, if you think of the virus, viral process when you become infected, 
if you are, are become infected with the virus, in the early phase when the virus is replicating, there are certain things that are happening physiologically to the body. And then once the virus starts replicating, it turns on certain pathways in the body that induce inflammation. So as you progress through those periods of or steps along the way as the virus integrates into your body, there are different treatments that we give you depending on where you are in the course of your illness. That is important because if an individual feels that they have symptoms that are COVID-related symptoms, I strongly urge them to somehow go get tested. And there are different places, that, and, and now they're much more readily accessible to get tested. So getting tested and knowing that you have COVID is important because we now have treatment options that can be given to you before you meet any criteria to be admitted to the hospital. The, the worst thing to do is to stay at home and think, well, I don't think I'm sick enough to be in the hospital, so there's nothing else to be done. There actually are things to be done. You did mention monoclonal antibody treatment, and it's one of the more uh, recent treatment modalities that we can offer to patients, and we do anticipate over the course of the next several weeks to months, we should be seeing more and more people seeking care, getting tested, and hopefully we're catching them in that early phase where we can give them outpatient administration of these treatments, these monoclonal antibodies, to hopefully it works to be a binding process so that hopefully you will not get as sick as you may have uh, gotten if you would not have sought care. So there is absolutely treatments available short of being admitted to the hospital and, and needing supplemental oxygen. Let's give let's give our listeners some practical advice because some uh, many of our listeners would head to Berkeley Medical Center or Jefferson Medical Center when you talk about a outpatient uh, procedures to give them treatments that keep them out of the ER or being admitted. So, are those available on both those campuses? They are absolutely available. We are also trying uh, to partner with our local urgent cares, both those urgent cares um, related to WVU urgent cares, as well as the MedExpress and any other urgent care, any other place where an individual would seek treatment, um, multi-specialty clinics, et cetera, we do have access. If an individual contacts us or goes to an urgent care, we now have a process in place where we can expedite getting them treatment either at the Berkeley Medical Campus or the Jefferson Medical Campus. And that treatment usually occurs within, I would say, at least 24 to 72 hours because, again, the purpose of the treatment is to give it to you early on in the course so that you slow down the process of the virus replicating and inducing all these inflammatory changes. So, again, I can't emphasize enough how it is so important early on to define whether or not you have the disease. So getting tested is important. And once you have the positive test, reaching out to your provider and saying, I want to get these monoclonal antibodies. We're trying to spread the word education-wise so that that is accessible. We absolutely have those services available here at WVU East. So in, in terms of practical application, if someone hasn't gotten a test, is it preferable for them to try to call their doctor or if they don't have a primary physician to should they show up at an urgent care or should they call ahead and say I'm concerned about this Uh, or is the best course of action to try to get a test because I'm seeing anecdotally some folks are having a hard time accessing a test in in kind of a, a good turnaround time. Yes, and that, and, and that may, uh, depending on what happens with the volumes over the next several weeks to months, be more of an issue. If you have contact with a primary care provider, a phone call ahead 
always helps them be able to triage you to the most efficient place to be tested. We, are, we do offer testing here, but the urgent cares off, offer it. The local pharmacies offer that testing. I always say that, you know, people will say, should I go to the emergency room or should I go to my doctor's office? Given how contagious this disease is, a phone call ahead to your primary care office or an urgent care is always a good idea. Most of our urgent cares now have a phone triage system that if you are calling with COVID symptoms, you immediately get triaged to an area that can expedite and get you tested. Um, so if people are having difficulties accessing that, reaching out to those of us here at WVU East is absolutely what I would recommend that they do, and we can help facilitate that for sure. So I know early on in the pandemic, uh, we were talking to Dr. Simmons, who uh, was the infectious disease uh, doctor there. And and one of the things that he was saying is, you know, many people that will get this will have a mild case of it. It won't turn into the the, the horrible uh, things that we see, the hospitalizations, the ECMO, the, um, the ventilator. Um, so uh, he was encouraging folks, if they were f- experiencing mild symptoms, to treat at home. Is that still a good course? It is in some individuals, and I think that's very much an individualized approach. I will say that we are at a different place right now in the pandemic than we were six months ago and certainly a year ago in terms of what we offer. A year ago, we did not have access or we did not have data yet available to offer some of these pre-hospital treatment regimens that we just talked about, the monoclonal antibodies. There are also some newer treatment options, again, with using the monoclonal antibodies in a prevention fashion. So to answer your question, if an individual has mild symptoms of COVID, should they go ahead and stay at home or should they go seek care? A lot of that depends on what your risk factors are. If you are an individual who is in general very healthy, you don't have any chronic medical problems, you're not overweight, you do not have obesity, you don't have hypertension, you're not on a chronic steroid for any lung disease or bowel condition or skin condition, you may be able to stay at home and recover from the illness in a very short fashion. However, if you have any of those risk factors that I just mentioned, which is not totally inclusive, but those are the big risk factors, if you have any of those risk factors, and you feel that you have symptoms and you know that you're COVID positive, you are also a candidate for some preventive medication with the monoclonal antibodies. So those are things that have changed literally in the past three months. So uh, wherein before we were saying just stay at home if you're feeling okay, it's always a good idea to have that open conversation. I would encourage people if you don't know, if you say, I don't know if I have any of those risk factors, but I know I'm COVID positive, to reach out to the provider. We Most offices and in, in places have access to telemedicine now. That is a wonderful modality to use where you don't have to come into the office, but you can have a face-to-face telemedicine connection with a provider, or you can have a phone conversation with them and they can help work through that and help you determine if you are at high risk. Our guest this morning is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Connie Smith. She's from WV Medicine, Berkeley Medical Center and Jefferson Medical Center. And um, I wanted to ask you too, because I've, I've heard this from a couple of different places. Um, I have a friend who, who studies homeopathy. And I know in the past when we've talked about viruses, it's always been good to talk about how your body can, can fight these off. Um, and if someone has already had COVID-19, um, are there antibodies effective enough to to fight this off without having a boost or having the vaccine because a lot of people in the area feel like they started having covid early on last year and they've already kind of had a bout with it 
Yes, that's a great question. Um, the question is whether or not a prior infection with COVID, whether it be, have been documented or just they felt they had COVID, does that prior infection render you resistant to getting it again, or does it put you at a better place from an immunologic standpoint if you were to be infected? And the answer to that is twofold. One, the fact that you may have had infection either in the last couple of months or even a year, year and a half ago, it absolutely, we do feel that you do have some immunity based on the fact that you've been infected. However, we don't have enough data yet to state that that prior infection is going to be enough to keep you from getting infected again, or if you get infected again, is that enough? Does the vaccine booster help you? I would say based on what we're seeing in our hospitals, we absolutely, the majority of the patients in the last six weeks that have been admitted to the hospital with severe COVID infection, the majority of those individuals are unvaccinated. And of that group that's coming in unvaccinated, many of those individuals chose not to have the vaccine because just what you mentioned, they thought they already had the infection a number of months ago and didn't need it. So again, this is difficult because we don't have hard data to prove it. But what we're seeing is even if you've been infected or even, you know, if, if you think you were infected or know you were infected, that does not mean you can't be infected again. Some of that is because of the variant strains. The infection that we had 12 to 18 months ago was a completely different strain of the infection than what we're seeing now. So I feel that a prior infection, whether it be documented or not, of COVID definitely does afford you some protection against any circulating COVID strain but not enough that I would say from an infectious disease standpoint, you should forego getting a vaccine or certainly seeking treatment if you felt that you were infected again. Our guest this morning is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Connie Smith. And I, I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to tee it up. It's going to be a bit of a long tee up. We know that the vaccine, anti-vaccine, has become a political football. Um, a lot of people, are, it's very polarizing, and, and a lot of it is based in fear. People are afraid of getting the disease. They're afraid of spreading it. They're afraid of having their rights taken away. Uh, so it becomes a, a huge conversation you know, on social media, et cetera. Recently, there was a report in Florida that uh, 75 doctors stepped out. It was, a, I guess, a symbolic protest and saying, you know, look, look, we're treating you, but if you're coming in unvaccinated, you're asking a lot of us. I think people would want to know um, that there is a commitment from local doctors. Can you reassure the listeners that, that the local practitioners are going to treat you, whether you've chosen in the past to have a vaccine or uh, said a lot of things on social media? Absolutely. I think that that is a great question. And I feel very comfortable in speaking both from my own personal uh, perspective as well as on the behalf of our doctors here in this community. I, I, would, I, I don't know any physician in our community that would refuse to render treatment. And to go a step further, I think they're going to give you the absolute best treatment that they can give you, whether you've received the vaccine or not, whether you've posted something on social media or not, or what you've uh, been talking about in different circles in the community. When someone comes in, when we ask if you've received the vaccine, it does not change whether or not we, we give you a certain treatment or not. Those of us in medicine have taken an oath to, pro to provide the best care no matter what the situation. And so I feel very comfortable at reassuring all the listeners that if you come to this community, you will receive the absolute best care that we have available to you for COVID irrespective of any of your political views, your health views, your personal views, your 
religious views, all of those things, we certainly respect your views on those, but we're going to offer you the absolute best treatment that we have. And then you can make the decision as, as to which of those treatments you would like to receive. Dr. Connie Smith, uh, we've been following the, the ICU numbers in both hospitals. Of course, Teresa has been sending that information over. I appreciate all the hard work you guys are doing and the good information you've given us today. Um, obviously, we're learning a lot about this disease, and I appreciate the insights. Thank you very much. And for the, for the listeners, anyone who has uh, questions that they feel they need answered uh, in regard to access to vaccines or if you didn't get a vaccine, what else can I do to prevent it? Please feel free to reach out to us. That is what the healthcare community is here for you. All righty. Well, um, Dr. Connie Smith, take good care. Thank you. From Pawpaw to Harper's Ferry, from Martinsburg to Winchester, it's Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome into your Friday edition of Panhandle Live. Marsha Kavalik here. Jordan Nicewarner is, as they say, on assignment. He's been very busy, as a matter of fact. Uh, if you got a chance to listen yesterday uh, evening on The Big Dog, our sister station, 95.9, he had the... Uh, the inaugural game of Shepherd University on the road in Columbus, and Shepherd pulled out the win. It was a bit of a nail biter. Now, if you listen to the show, you know I'm not much of a sports ball fan, but I do uh, love all my colleagues, and we like to support each other. So I was listening to the broadcast, and um, so Jordan and his uh, color commentator Travis Hans wrote uh, did a really great job, uh, and it was there was a lot of energy, and it was back and forth so much that it was a really interesting game to hear. Uh, here's his recap from Columbus. Your final score here at Ohio Dominican University, 35 to 30. Shepherd 35, Ohio Dominican 30. As the Shepherd Rams take Game One of this 2021 season. Jordan Nice Warner doing a great job with his color co-host uh, Travis Hands wrote, and they'll be covering Shepherd games all through the season, every game on our sister station 95.9, the Big Dog. So hopefully you'll be able to listen into that. We've got a lot more show coming up. I uh, have a. A friend in medicine, Dr. Ryan McCarthy, and he's got this great series called Healthcare is Human, where he goes behind the scenes uh, and talks to medical professionals. And today he's talking to a mental health professional uh, about the the arc of treatment and uh, uh, the issues that have come up during the pandemic that's, you know, a year and a half in. So uh, stay tuned for that after this quick news break. It's Panhandle Live, part of the Panhandle story for 75 years, with hosts Jordan Warner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back into Panhandle Live, the Friday edition. We're brought to you by Sutton & Janelle. They're your full-service law firm serving West Virginia and Maryland. You can contact them at suttonandjanelle.com or visit their new historic location in downtown Martinsburg, 224 West King Street. Uh, Jordan Warner is on assignment. He just uh, was in Columbus last night covering Shepherd's win uh, at, in their inaugural football game of the season. And then tonight, he's going to be covering your Berkeley Springs Indians for WXDC, uh, which is our Morgan County country station. And uh, so you can listen live over there and hear him and all the great work that he does over there. And uh, it, we love having uh, local sports on our radio airwaves again. It's great after a year of pandemic. Speaking of pandemic, uh, Dr. Ryan McCarthy started this podcast called Healthcare is Human. He goes behind the scenes at Berkeley Medical Center and talks to some of the medical professionals who have been dealing with the pandemic for more than a year and a half. And in this segment, 
He's talking to a mental health care professional. So let's listen in. Welcome to Healthcare is Human. I'm Ryan McCarthy. In this episode of the podcast, we sit down and have an extended conversation with Colleen Cradle, a therapist who's been working throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Colleen is gracious enough to allow us to step into her office where she shares her pandemic story with us that starts with in-person therapy that she was very much used to. And needless to say, that was disrupted in March 2020 with the arrival of COVID-19. Colleen takes us through the difficult transition that she made from in-person therapy to telemedicine and the difficulties that went with that both for her and for her clients. She takes us through uh, some of the ways that she discovered some of the good things about it and also some of the difficult things that come from speaking with somebody remotely on a computer. Come with me as we climb up the stairs to the second floor uh, where her office is. And like many buildings in downtown Martinsburg, Colleen's office is located in a cute red brick building. It's impossible to miss because it's right next to a great Thai restaurant on Burke Street in downtown Martinsburg. So I'm sitting here this uh, this morning and I'm on uh, West Burke Street here in Martinsburg and I'm talking to... Colleen Cradle with Be Well Counseling Services. And Colleen, do you want to tell our listeners what you have been doing in the past year? Well, um, I am owner of a counseling agency and I have been attempting to meet the needs of the uh, community as far as mental health concerns, meeting with people individually for counseling services. We've done some groups, done some presentations, um, and just trying to help community as best we can uh, during this past year. So. Yeah, now needless to say, um, none of us saw the pandemic coming, right. and so your your professional life was upended. Mm-hmm. Um, take me through a typical day before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You would just look at, hey, I'm going to do the following things. What would they be? Well, I would be uh, basically meeting with five, six, sometimes seven clients a day. I would be seeing them in person. They'd come in for the session. They'd leave after the hour, and you know, in-person sessions, and they would go home. So I was meeting with them individually for um, counseling services. I also um, began hiring other therapists. So I was also managing a therapist at the time who Mm -hmm. was also seeing her own clients in the office. And um, of course, all the many things that come with owning a business, you know, marketing, managing, all of that kind of thing as well. So, you know, so obviously uh, all of our routines were disrupted. Mm -hmm. And so your professional skill set was the routine of I greet somebody, they mm-hmm. come in, we kind of, I mean, was mm-hmm. that a whole part of? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so seeing people in person, there's, you know, first of all, you're in person, you're able to see the entire face, greet them with a smile, you know, there's a whole um, energy that comes when you are meeting with people in person and, um, being able to hand someone a tissue, you know, when they're upset, um, small things like that. And, and also bigger things, but that you, that you were able to do for your clients and and holding space is basically what we do for our clients when they're going through difficult times. So I, the physical space just became very different, um, after the pandemic hit, but prior to that, 
that was just part of um, what we just kind of naturally did as our jobs. It was just, you know. And, and so at the first part of the pandemic when all of us were shocked, mm-hmm. surprised, mm-hmm. reeling with what am I going to do, mm-hmm. did what were your first thoughts of am I going to be able to do this? Mm-hmm. And if so, how are we going to be able to do it? Take us back to your initial thoughts of, hey, what, what do we do to meet the needs? Yeah. Um, well, my clients were first and foremost, uh, as well as my family, you know, um, trying to figure out. I have three kids at home, and so that was a piece of um, my life then and trying to figure out that. But as far as uh, the office, I knew I did not want to uh, continue to see people in person. I knew telehealth was going to be coming into this somehow. I did some research, talked with, and got support from other mental health uh, clinicians who were talking about going to telehealth, who already had. Actually, California was a little bit ahead of us in this wave. And, you know, so I was picking up some information there, and I really just got a lot of support from other people who had already started doing telehealth and then I despite wanting to be in the physical space with my clients I also knew that I wanted to make sure they were safe and that I was safe and that we were following all the protocols and uh, CDC guidelines so I knew that uh, we had to shift somehow in order to make sure that they could still be seen and uh, in a safe and um, conscientious way when when you first got started, mm-hmm. um, in the in, you know all of us in healthcare fumbled through the beginning of mm-hmm. hey how do we do this? Yeah, uh, what were the initial things that did not work well? Where you're mm-hmm. like your initial frustrations are like oh my gosh, this is madness because of what? I would say finding a platform for telehealth uh, that was a struggle, and technology. Uh, it you know. It's still, to this day, I'm doing a good bit of telehealth, and it's it's just hit or miss. Some people don't have signal, they you know, and they're not used to um, being on the computer for their sessions either, so there's a lot of technical things that come in the way, and that hour after hour of telehealth was exhausting because you're just in front of the screen and sitting in a chair, and uh, which, as we know, is not the <laughs> most beneficial uh, thing for our bodies, but it was really just um, that technical piece, getting used to the screen versus the holding the space in the physical, physical office. And while that was going on, was there a moment where you had an encounter with a patient where something mm-hmm. happened, or where you suddenly went, wait a minute, mm-hmm. hey, we have just done something that would not have happened if we had not. Mm-hmm. What were some of those first moments where you're like, holy cow, there is actually, I don't want to say a silver lining to any of right. this, but hey, mm-hmm. we now have the following capability. Yeah, so as I started, maybe like a few weeks in, I started to realize that this was in a way a gift, you're, you know, because it brought some intimacy to the session that hadn't been there before, whereas I was literally able to see their home and they were able to see my home because I was sometimes working from home. I would go to the office when I could, but for a little while there I was home and they could, you know, hear my dog barking <laughs> and, they, and I could hear theirs. And often I'd see their cat crossing the screen. Well, in the office, we never would have seen that or had that experience. So it was just um, got to know each other in a different way. And I think that humanized 
me to them and uh, definitely gave me a different perspective uh, that I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. I hear about their cats or I hear about their kids, but they were actually coming <laughs> into session sometimes. So that was a silver lining because I, you know, it just changed a little bit of that dynamic. And with that happening, um, I mean, did you feel like you got to more personal levels quickly? Um, yeah, I do think so. I think when people come into the office, there is some kind of buttoning up and, you know, putting on, well, a mask, but, you know. Um, and when they were in their home, maybe feeling more comfortable and maybe more relaxed and authentic, some people didn't feel so comfortable. I have some clients who confidentiality is an issue and they had to go to their car or they had, you know, so it wasn't always a great thing in that sense, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely gave people, um, that, I, I don't know if it would happen more quickly, but it was different. I, it, it was, was I just sure. say it was different, not for better or worse, but. So we're listening to Healthcare is Human, uh, an excerpt from uh, the latest edition of that. You can catch more of those on Facebook at Healthcare is Human. We're going to rejoin that when we come back after this quick break. You're listening to Panhandle Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. Welcome back into Panhandle Live, the Friday edition. In this segment, we're rebroadcasting Healthcare is Human. It is a podcast from our friend, Dr. Ryan McCarthy. Uh, He's been doing these all pandemic. You can catch the entire library of them on Facebook at Healthcare is Human. Uh, He's done a great job going behind the scenes, talking to folks, not just medical professionals, but folks who handle custodial work, uh, cafeteria folks, folks who handle the cash register, all all of these different folks who have had to um, really show up and support us during the pandemic. And so uh, we're not going to finish up this whole uh, episode. I invite you, if you want to hear more, to go over to Healthcare is Human and listen in. But in today's episode, Ryan is talking to mental health professional Colleen Cradle from here in Martinsburg. So we'll join them right now. When you see that was a little surprising, Mm -hmm. when you found that people were, they were coming for more therapy or Mm -hmm. staying longer. And some who had been my clients before were coming back. In thinking about the mental health of, of your clients, I mean, mm-hmm. were were there clear clusters of, of things that, and, and what, what were what were some of those issues and, and themes mm-hmm. that you started to detect? Let's um let's stay in summer to fall. Well, the teachers, uh, summer to fall, because they were there was question about going back to school and who was going to be virtual and who wasn't, and there's so much uncertainty in the fall and I just the teachers and students parents of students you know all all of the group that was affected by school and the choices that parents had to make really stuck out to me probably because I was going through the same thing you know um, that's what's interesting here is as a mental health person we often aren't usually aren't going through the same in, as any healthcare you know worker you're not going through the same thing as your as your patient or your client, and we were, and so that was kind of something that I noticed is something different with this year. But 
you know, I think that we had um, grief um, from obviously sickness and deaths, but also from the loss of what life was or you know, what was normal. And then we have um, some collective trauma that we are all still dealing with. I think we've kind of been in shock and holding our breaths. And, you know, I think that as things go on, we're going to be seeing in the mental health community just a lot more um, trauma from what happened this past year. Um, and then I would also say just this level of uncertainty that everybody had and still has. There's still some things that are uncertain, you know. So those are some themes that were coming to us with therapy. Of course, increase in anxiety, depression, um, suicidal thoughts. Uh, we have an increase just in the severity of all these, you know, in our clients that we already had, and then people reaching out. And then substance abuse also has been, you know, just really increasing as through, through the year. So, you know, in addition to some of those things, mm -hmm. um, did you find that there was also people trying to the concept of ambiguous loss, mm. where you mentioned mm -hmm. things that are very specific? Hey, I lost somebody, mm -hmm. my mom died, or hey, my job has changed. Those are very mm -hmm. discreet and distinct. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about uncertainty, and then how life had been different. Mm -hmm. um, I've talked to a lot of people recently about ambiguous loss. Mm -hmm. Hey, something has changed. I've lost something, something, somebody, but it's not entirely just as black and white. Exactly. Yeah. And that's... Can you say a little bit about that? Sure, sure. And it's hard to put your finger on it. And sometimes people will come and say, just, I just need help navigating and I don't know why. And it just feels like... I, I used to I used to be able to handle A, B, and C, and now I can't. Or sometimes even just in scheduling things, you'll see people like not ready to plan or schedule because they had did lose things in the past, like had to cancel vacations or you know even dance recitals. So all all these normal things we had to cancel and that we lost in that whole year. Now I think people are feeling a little bit hesitant to you know, plan for what's coming, you know, whatever those events might be, now that things are opening up a little bit more. But that ambiguous loss is, uh, it's just kind of, um, it's the grief that isn't so black and white that people aren't able to see as grief because, oh, well, I didn't lose somebody, you know, and, but it is uh, still, and grief is any, um, any expectation that you had for how life was going to go, it's, and losing that, that, can be grief, you know, so it's not always easy to put your finger on what that expectation was or, and that's one thing that we really help clients with figuring out like, okay, well, that's, that's grief. Yeah. Putting a name to it. And as, as the, the fall became the cold days of the winter, mm -hmm. you know, in primary care, I always think about November is the beginning typically of, um, exciting holidays, the holiday mm -hmm. corridor, but it also gets dark, it gets cold. Yeah. And, and this was a year when, there wasn't anybody planning Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. The college schedule was disrupted. So, you know, when do the kids come home if you have older children? Christmas was, you know, so we all knew that on the front end. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things were you talking about in your office October, November, December? Did, yeah. it, did it change from the fall? Um, well, 
I would say it did because the schools closed again. Again, it was a lot of still uncertainty through the fall around schooling and people were having to quarantine. People were getting COVID. And so I had a lot more clients during that time who had a friend or they had COVID or, you know, so then at least locally here, I started noticing the increase in the numbers and um, the fear of getting COVID and or a family member getting COVID. I would love to give you guys the whole um, you know episode of this, but if you're interested and you want to catch more of Healthcare is Human, you can go on the Facebook page, Healthcare is Human, and uh, check that out. There is a whole uh, library of great episodes that Ryan and Shruti Shrikumar, uh, who was a medical student when this all started from WV Medicine, uh, they, they did great work. They went behind the scenes at Berkeley Medical Center and uh, obviously beyond. Uh, Dr. McCarthy did a, uh, a call over to a private office over in, on Burke Street in Martinsburg uh, to get this particular interview. And it's such a neat perspective, uh, one that I think will be helpful for historical reference. We talked about this before he launched his podcast, he was asking me about some questions about, you know, whether or not this would be valuable. And we both, um, you know, are interested in, in history. And he's, and we agreed this would be such a great uh, piece to have all these different perspectives uh, from folks who have been on the front lines. And he has certainly done such a, a, a tremendous uh, work. And uh, hopefully folks can go back and refer to this when we can put the pandemic in the rear view. Hopefully that will be sooner than later. If you were listening at the top of the show, we had infectious disease uh, specialist, Dr. Connie Smith from the Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center, uh, WV Medicine System. You can listen to all of these as we play them back on Panhandle Live on the Facebook page. I'll put those uh, up in probably about an hour and you can hear all of our uh, archived broadcasts in that way. Stay tuned tonight on WXDC. Jordan Nicewarner will be covering the Berkeley Springs Indians game, and uh, we appreciate all the hard work he's doing and the traveling that he's doing to make all of that happen as well. And appreciate you being with us on Panhandle Live. On Monday, we're taking the show on the road. We'll be at War Memorial Park for the Labor Day breakfast. You can still buy tickets for that, by the way. And you can catch us live out there. The breakfast begins at 7.30 a.m. So uh, tune in any way you can or come out and see us on Monday. And have a great weekend. You've been listening to Panhandle Live. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. This is the Panhandle News Network a West Virginia Radio Corporation station.